meeting the crisis with a new world religion. This is number two in this series. May I suggest that before listening to this tape, you should listen to tape number one of this series entitled The New World Order, dated February 1, 2001. This study begins with an undeniable fact that the vast majority of Seventh-day Adventists are fast asleep, which also includes the leadership. The spirit of prophecy paints a picture in words too clear to be misunderstood. I quote, If all that appears to be divine life were such in reality, if all who profess to present the truth to the world were preaching for the truth and not against it, and if they were men of God guided by His Spirit, then might we see something cheering amid the prevailing moral darkness. But the spirit of the Antichrist is prevailing to such an extent as never before. Well, may we exclaim, Help, Lord, for the godly man ceaseth, for the faithful fail from among the children of men. I know that many think far too favorably of the present time. These ease-loving souls will be engulfed in the general ruin. The days of purification of the church are hastening on apace. God will have a people pure and true. In the mighty sifting soon to take place, we shall be better able to measure the strength of Israel. The signs reveal that the time is near when the Lord will manifest that his fan is in his hand and he will thoroughly purge his floor. Testimonies, Volume 5, page 79. Now the question, what is this spirit of the Antichrist that is prevailing within our church as never before? Before we seek for an answer, let us pray for divine guidance. O loving Father, may thy Holy Spirit awaken us from this satanic stupor that has enveloped both the ministry and the laity, that we may become aroused to discern the working of the Antichrist among us and become spiritually alert to realize that it is now or never that we must be ready to meet the final crisis. This we ask in the name of thy dear Son, Jesus. Amen. In our last tape, we discovered that the Antichrist has completely dominated the development of the New World Order so that the United Nations is now prepared to launch its new world government, including a new world religion, which is being developed by the demons of spiritualism. 
The new religion is being promoted through an environmental approach which is leading to Baal Sunday worship, the mark of the beast. The predictions of Revelation 13 are being enacted before our very eyes as 149 countries of this world, including the United States, have signed and given their country sovereignty to the UN at a recent summit meeting at the United Nations, September 2000. As prophecy stated, the United States would cause the people on earth to worship the beast. So, President Clinton hosted this meeting in which these nations signed to obey. Thus, the UN is now ready to completely restructure the world economy and political systems with a global taxation and an international army to enforce by law over population the redistribution of the world's wealth and a new world religion which the Bible declares will enforce the mark of the beast. As in the previous tape, I will give only the page number for facts that I have gleaned from the book entitled The New World Religion, which was printed by Hope International Publishers, P.O. Box 899, Nobleville, Indiana, 46061. It may surprise you to learn that Mikhail Gorbachev has become the Leninist of the New Age teachings. He is seeking to replace Christianity with a new religion of humanism, which is the central teaching of communism with pantheism, based on Eastern religions, page 142. In order to promote this, Gorbachev has developed an environmental appeal known as a Magna Carta for Earth, a so-called Ten Commandments to rule humanity. Already the United Nations has 300 environmental trees, such as climate change, ozone-depleting substances, decertification, endangered species, wetlands, and World Heritage Sites, page 143. During the summit of world leaders on September 6, 2000, a Bill of Rights for our planet was adopted. Al Gore has been Gorbachev's right-hand man in getting this charter adopted, page 144. Al Gore led the U.S. De delegates in the 1992 Environmental Earth Summit held in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. In his book, Earth in the Balance, he writes that he would use every means, and I'm quoting, embarking on an all-out effort to use every policy and program, every treaty and alliance, 
every tactic and strategy, every plan and course of action to use, in short, every means to halt the destruction of the environment and to preserve and nurture our ecological system. Page 146. Please be aware of where all this is leading. I quote from the United Nations Secretary General, Boutrous Ghali. Quote, I should like to conclude by saying that the spirit of Rio must create a new form of good citizenship. After loving his neighbor as the Bible required him to, post-Rio man must also love the world, including the flowers, the birds and the trees, every part of that natural environment that we are constantly destroying. To the ancients, the Nile was a god to be venerated, as was the Rhine, an infinite source of European myths, or the Amazon forest, the mother of forests. Throughout the world, nature was the abode of the divinities that gave the forest, the desert, or the mountains a personality which commanded worship. Did you hear that? To continue, I quote, The earth has a soul. To find that soul again, to give it a new life, that is the essence of Rio. Unquote. Page 147. Now, dear friend, why am I giving such detail? Because it was at this earth summit that it was proposed that all people should honor an environmental Sunday rest day. Anyone can see where this is leading to the mark of the beast. No wonder the papacy gave its full support. Keep in mind, and I'm quoting, throughout history, whenever man chose to worship himself or the pagan deities of nature in place of God, the consequences were severe. Humanity came under the control of false belief systems and those enforcing them. Pantheism, with its earth or Gia worship, has inevitably had the effect of enslaving man. Whether it was the version presented by the pharaohs of Egypt, the Brahmas of India, or the Caesars of Rome, the result of earth-centered religion has always been the same, the enslavement of man under a ruthless, occultic system. Unfortunately, most leaders of today's environmental movement hold a similar and equally militant worldview. According to this view, those who believe in a personal creator, refusing to make creation their God, are you listening, are a threat to nature and must be eliminated. Page 156-157. The Earth Charter, prepared by Gorbachev, 
with its supporting programs, is now ready to be impl implemented. Notice what will be the result. Sovereign nations would no longer exist, at least not in the traditional sense. Private property and the ability to choose what to do with your land would be severely limited. The right to decide your child's schooling or what your child is taught, even at home, would be restricted. This state control would also extend into the realm of personal beliefs. Christianity, saying that Jesus Christ is the only way of reconciliation to God, would not likely be tolerated. In fact, it might be made a crime. So why is humanity falling for this deception? The answer is simple. The majority of people have rejected the truth of God for a lie. Seeking to liberate themselves from a moral God and his holy commandments. Most of the earth's inhabitants have embraced humanism or pantheism as their world view. These two belief systems are really quite similar. Both reject the reality of a personal God, inevitably resulting in the direct or indirect worship of man or nature. Page 156. Nature worship. The elevation of nature as talking about the creation. Above God, the creator, is nothing new. In fact, it was prevalent among the Lucifer-inspired mystery religions of the Old Testament era. Page 156. What does God say about this? The Bible explains, and I'm reading Romans 1, 21 to 25, because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and change the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image make, made like to corruptible man, to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanliness through lusts of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie, and worshipped and served the creature more than the Creator. How clear God has stated this fact. Now for a moment, let us see how all these New World Order plans are forging toward a new religion. Alice Bailey, the spiritualist medium, who has for years guided the development of the UN, has written, and I'm quoting, the three main channels through which the preparation for the new age is going on 
might be regarded as the Church, the Masonic Fraternity, and the Educational Field, page 161. We have clearly seen how the Papal Church and the occult Masonic organization of the New Age have guided the UN to its present acceptance by all the world leaders. But don't overlook what has happened in the educational field. Robert Muller has spent 40 years to educate the youth to accept the new world order. Muller grew up in a Catholic home and has stated that his Catholic upbringing has prepared him to accept the New Age view that he now holds, page 200. In the last 12 years, he was able to introduce Goals 2000 into the educational system of America through the Bush and Clinton administrations down to the very state and local level. The curriculum introduced was heavily influenced by Alice Bailey, page 180. No doubt you have seen, as I have, in our public schools, the idea that Mother Earth is to be exalted and even worshipped. I never cease to be amazed by the artwork of students displayed in public places on Mother Earth's Day. Muller's curriculum teaches the youth the concept of interfaithism. When this is believed by the youth, the source is recognized as beyond any scriptural authority. Page 183. I quote, This underlying doctrine of interfaithism is a complete violation of God's word. The Bible reveals that it is impossible to accept the beliefs of other religions and simultaneously accept all the teachings of Jesus Christ. Why? Because other religions deny the fact that Jesus is the only way of salvation. In so doing, they minimize the atoning death and resurrection of Christ, falsely teaching that there are other paths to immortality, when in truth there are none. Acts 4.12 in the NIV proclaims, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Jesus stated in no uncertain terms, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. John 14.6 NIV Clearly, the Robert Muller School is not based on Christianity. It is pantheistic. Page 183. A growing number of top educators have embraced this new age. Page 188. The youth are being taught that all religions are valid and are merely pathways to God. Page 199. It is the aim of educational planners that such unity of religion will exist 
so that all existing religions can be molded into one synthetic whole. Page 199. This is Muller's view that Catholicism and pantheistic religions of the East have the same spiritual roots as taught by the Jesuit Teilhard de Chardin. Page 201. In his book, The New Genesis, Muller writes, quote, If Christ came back to earth, his first visit would be to the United Nations to see if his dream of human oneness and brotherhood had come true. He would be happy to see representatives of all nations, north and south, east and west, rich and poor, believers and non-believers, young and old, Philistines and Samaritans, trying to find answers to the perennial question of human destiny and fulfillment. Page 203. Thus we can plainly see the prophecy of God fulfilling as the coming Antichrist will control the UN. In Muller's book, The New Genesis, he calls for, and I quote, the UN-based world government and a new world religion is the only answer to mankind's problems. Through it all, Muller maintains his status as a Catholic Christian. He finally comes full circle by linking the UN's mission to Catholicism. And John Paul II agrees. I continue to read. Pope John Paul II said that we, speaking of the UN, were the stonecutters and the artisans of a cathedral, page 204. In another book, My Testament to the UN, Muller favorably quotes Shai Shinmoy, a Hindu priest, regarding the UN's ultimate destiny. I'm quoting, No human force will ever be able to destroy the United Nations. For the United Nations is not a mere building or a mere idea. It is not a man-made creation. The United Nations is the vision light of the absolute supreme, which is slowly, steadily, and unerringly illuminating the ignorance, the night of our human life. The divine success and supreme progress of the United Nations is bound to become a reality. At his choice hour, the Absolute Supreme will ring his own victory bell here on earth through the loving and serving heart of the United Nations. Page 205. The truth of the matter is, the United Nations is not a conception of God. Rather, its spiritual activities are an abomination to him. The UN and its occult-inspired cooperatives will experience the same judgment from the Lord reserved for all ungodly individuals and institutions. It is Jesus Christ who will ring the victory bell 
upon his return, as Second Thessalonians 2, 7 to 12 reads. And he will not be wrung through the United Nations. Page 203. We must not overlook how the World Council of Churches has been funded by the Rockefeller Foundation. The ecumenical movement is now an integral part of the coming one world government, page 206. The Seventh-day Adventist Church has taken a very active part in this World Council of Churches in providing committee leadership and secretaries. But worst of all, our leadership has encouraged Seventh-day Adventist churches to participate in ecumenical activities at the lower level, even promising the papal and Protestant leaders that we will not openly preach a message that would call for the diversion in the ranks of ecumenism. Unbelievable. God help us. Neither should we overlook what took place in the Second Vatican Council when it urged the ecumenical movement to accept interfaithism. I quote, All Christians to act positively to preserve and even promote all that is good in other religions. Hinduism, Buddhism, and other world religions. To carry out this interfaith directive, the Vatican Council established the Secretariat for Non-Christians, which would eventually be renamed the Secretariat for World Religions. Years later, Pope John Paul II would take the Council's initiative a step further by holding an actual interfaith summit in Assisi, Italy. This 1986 gathering, consisting of leaders from the world's major religions and initiated by the Pope himself, would represent a visible transition from the traditional ecumenism to the new interfaithism, page 208. In 1993, the Parliament of World Religions, held in August 28, September 5, held a nine-day session. Robert Muller delivered the key note address. The highlights of this meeting was the awarding of the Templeton Prize for Progress in Religion, a gift of 1.2 million ecumenical award was given to Prison Fellowship Director Charles Colson. Other well-known Christian leaders have also received this award, such as Billy Graham in 1982 and Bill Bright in 1996, page 211. Perhaps we should discuss the unholy alliance when the United Nations contacted Bishop Swing of the Grace Cathedral in San Francisco to unify the world religions with the headquarters in the Presidio in San Francisco to work with Gorbachev's foundation, which is also located there. Since then, Bishop Swing 
has visited most all worldwide religious headquarters throughout the world, together with ambassadors, writers, politicians, and Supreme Court justices. Page 219. It is reported he has been warmly received. One must not forget how the Vatican has formed a partnership with the UN by training all its future diplomats at its Catholic Seton Hall University, page 239. Cooperation is so mutual that the UN Secretary Dag Hammarskjöld has stated, and I quote, there are two popes in this on this planet, a spiritual pope in Rome and a civilian pope in New York. There are two popes on this planet, a spiritual pope in Rome and a civilian pope in New York, namely the Secretary General of the UN, page 239. There can be no doubt the UN is serving as the political instrument of the Vatican. Also, keep in mind that Pope John Paul II and Mikhail Gorbachev are working closely together since they are credited with bringing an end to the Cold War. I quote, Gorbachev's relationship to the Pope was made evident during his first meeting in Rome on December 1, 1989. At that time, Gorbachev knelt at the Pope's feet and asked pardon for all the crimes he had committed in his life. During that historic meeting, Pope John Paul invited the Russian leader to join him in ending global confrontation and building universal solidarity. They have been in close contact ever since. Page 238. I now quote from page 243 to 244 the author's conclusion. The growing involvement of the Vatican and its allies in politics and religion reminds one of Alice Bailey's predictions that the New World Order would be ushered in with the help of a universally accepted church. Bailey explains that the New Age would rest upon the foundation of a newly interpreted and enlightened Christianity, being universal in nature. The occult prophetess also stated that there were no major distinctions between the one universal church of Catholicism and the sacred inner lodge of all true Masons and the innermost circles of esoteric societies. She indicated that they would all be working together through a global governing body to achieve their goal. While it is helpful to understand the plans of occult leaders so that we do not succumb to their deception, we must turn to the final authority, God's Word, to know exactly what will take place. The Bible prophesies that the Antichrist and his accomplice, the false prophet, 
will, through deception and flattery, bring the world's religions and nations together, uniting them under a new spiritual political order. Revelation 13, Daniel 7, 11. According to the scripture, the Antichrist and his close ally will be in direct contact with the demonic realm, having Satan's complete power at their disposal. They will be able to perform great and miraculous signs, even causing fire to come down from heaven to earth in full view of men. Revelation 13, 13 NIV. Together, they will lead mankind in an all-out rebellion against God. Through this endeavor, the Antichrist, representing Satan on earth, will succeed in gaining the worship of most of the earth's inhabitants." Unquote. Now this is exactly what God said in Revelation 13:4-8, And they worship the beast, saying, Who is like unto the beast? Who is able to make war with him? Verse 7. And power was given him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. And all that dwelt upon the earth shall worship him, whose names are not written in the book of life, of the Lamb, slain from the foundation of the world. Seeing the daily fulfillment of this prophecy thrills me through and through, for soon Jesus will arise in the heavens above to come as King of kings to destroy both the beast and the dragon in hellfire. I feel like saying, praise God. But what saddens my heart is that God's church leadership of today is following in the steps of God's church during Christ's first advent. Back then, through apostasy, the church leaders sold out to pagan Rome. And today, our leadership has revealed by its actions that they are leading the church to papal Rome. Now I hear someone say, Brother Nelson, how can you make such a statement? Well, just listen to the following undisputed facts. One, it all began when the General Conference authorized Bert Beach to present a gold medal to the Pope in 1977. Two, when celebration was suggested by the Vatican Council II, the General Conference immediately began to promote celebration in its meetings and encourage the members to participate. Three, the World Council of Churches requested all churches to unite in an ecumenical brotherhood. Immediately, our leaders began to promote this movement, knowing full well that eventually it would lead to worldwide Sunday worship. Four, the General Conference has promoted the NIV, the New International Version, translation of the Bible, knowing that it is based on the corrupted manuscripts 
promoted by Papal Rome. 5. Former President Neil Wilson revealed how our church leadership has rejected the teachings of the great controversy when he filed a brief with the courts regarding the Pacific Press when it was located in Mountain View, California. This brief stated that what we used to preach regarding the beasts and the papacy was now confined to the trash heap. Number six, the display of the Vatican flag during the past two general conference sessions when it is an undisputed fact that we will never have a Seventh-day Adventist church or a member within the Vatican. Number seven, the introduction of a high-ranking officer of the United Nations to the GC Toronto 2000 Assembly with remarks intended to praise the United Nations for what it stands for. Eight, the church leadership has refused to take a concerted stand to uphold the spirit of prophecy which reveals that apostasy will become so bad that Sunday worship will be preached by some of our ministry. I'm quoting from Review and Herald, March 18, 1884. The Lord has a controversy with his professed people in these last days. In this controversy, men in responsible positions will take a course directly opposite to what was pursued by Nehemiah. They will not only ignore and despise the Sabbath themselves, but they will try to keep it from others by burying it beneath the rubbish of custom and tradition. In churches and in large gatherings in the open air, ministers will urge upon the people the necessity of keeping the first day of the week. And I'm sad to say that this is coming upon us quicker than we think. I just received the Confessions of a Nomad, a devotional guide put out by the Ministerial Association of the General Conference of Seventh-day Adventists. It was published in 1998 by the Pacific Press Publishing Association. Let me read just a paragraph or two regarding the title, Holy Day or Holiday, Commandment 4. Society has gotten caught up in a seventh-day, 24-hour-a-day week. Some of you work in a business where you have no control over what you do on Sunday. Some of you are managers of businesses with policies set by someone else in a distant city, and you're caught. You can't get out of it, and you don't know what to do, but you know it's wrong, and it violates everything you are. Thoreau said if you want to destroy the Christian faith, first take away Sunday. He was right. It's a holy day. 
For those who know Jesus Christ as Savior, it cannot be a holiday. For those of you who have gathered around the cross and have been saved and washed clean by his blood, it's a sacrilege to do anything else on that day except to celebrate what God has done. If we abuse Sunday, we're going to destroy something beautiful that God has given. No Sunday means no church. No church means no worship. No worship means no religion. No religion means no morality. No morality means no society. No society means no government. No government means anarchy. That's the choice before us. What a statement printed by the Ministerial Association of the General Conference of Seventh-day Adventists and printed by the Pacific Press. Number 10. By idly standing by, permitting new theology to be preached, disregarding the sanctuary message, a pillar of our pioneer faith. 11. In Toronto 2000 session, we were told that we should no longer give any doctrinal book or any other books to people in an effort to interest them in our belief. Can you imagine? In other words, stop preaching the three angels' messages. Sounds unbelievable, but it's an undisputed fact. In summary, the following was personally gleaned from the World Radio Missions Special Report Number 5, October 2000. I quote, Transgression has almost reached its limit. Confusion fills the world, and a great terror is soon to come upon human beings. The end is very near. God's people should be preparing for what is to break upon the world as an overwhelming surprise. Great Controversy, 555, Testimonies 8, page 29. The papal pent-up fury of two centuries against the United States will be soon unleashed. Every provision for this is now being laid. Quote, it is often the case that trouble is greater in anticipation than in reality, but this is not true of the crisis before us. The most vivid presentation cannot reach the magnitude of the ordeal. Great Controversy, page 222. I quote, When they shall say, Peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. 1 Thessalonians 5.3 A study of Rome's history reveals that she works under cover to prepare all things to her purpose. Everything appears to be going well, even better than usual, and then suddenly she strikes without warning, with breathtaking speed, with every avenue of escape cut off. 
This is what happened at the St. Bartholomew's Day Massacre and at the 1641 Massacre of Protestants in Northern Ireland, where an estimated 200,000 to 300,000 Protestants were killed. Ellen White states, If the reader would understand the agencies to be employed in the soon coming contest, he has but to trace the record of the means which Rome employed for the same object in past ages. Great Controversy 573-574. Those who delay in preparation for the day of God cannot obtain it in the time of trouble or in any subsequent time. The case of all such is hopeless. Great Controversy 620. Let these inspired words be ever present in your mind. In this study we have seen the plans of the Antichrist for the woman to ride the beast. It must be remembered that the devil uses the state to persecute. It is when the woman rides the beast in church-state union that persecution breaks out. This is why we have studied in detail the development of the UN which is nothing but the tool of the papacy to prepare for the coming of the Antichrist. When the deadly wound of 1798 is fully healed, the beast power, the papacy, will emerge to rule the world just before the second coming of Jesus. It will rear, roar back to power ascending out of the bottomless pit. Quote, the beast that thou sawest was, and is not, and shall ascend out of the bottomless pit, and go into perdition. And they that dwell on the earth shall wonder, whose names are not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world, when they behold the beast that was, and is not, and yet is. Revelation 17:8. Come hither. I will show unto thee the judgment of the great whore that sitteth upon many waters. Revelation 17.1 The beast of Revelation 17.8 is the church-state union of the papacy, riding the state. Let us read again. The beast that thou sawest was, and is not, and shall ascend out of the bottomless pit, and go into perdition. And they that dwell on the earth shall wonder, whose names were not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world, when they behold the beast that was, and is not, and yet is. Note the word was. It refers to the papal world rule of 1260 years, ending in 1798 A.D. The words is not refers to the date when the deadly wound separated the church from the state power and continues till the wound heals. The words ascended out of the bottomless pit refer to a resurgent papal power at the end time until it goes into perdition. It also refers to an atheistic power akin to communism 
See Great Controversy, page 268 and 269, for I quote, Here is brought to view a new manifestation of satanic power. When the resurgent papacy, riding back to power on the beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit, comes back to power, they that dwell on the earth shall wonder. Revelation 17.8 This is exactly the same kind of language used in Revelation 13.3 after the healing of the deadly wound. I quote, And his deadly wound was healed, and all the world wondered after the beast. Revelation 13.3 In describing the resurgent papacy, John the Revelator clearly identifies the beast power in Revelation 17:8, as the woman, the papal church, riding the beast back to global power. Today, since Vatican II, the Jesuits have combined Marxist ideology and practice with Catholic theology to form liberation theology. Every level and stratum of American life is being combined to Sovietize America, preparing for Rome's rule. Gorbachev, at the head of the global Marxist Green Cross environmental movement for global government, is the right-hand man of the Pope. Liberation theology and the social gospel unite Marxism with Catholic theology. The papacy has joined forces with communist power to overwhelm America and thus open the door to global rule. Let it be remembered, it is the boast of Rome that she never changes. The principles of Gregory VII and Innocent III are still the principles of the Roman Catholic Church, and had she but the power she would put them in practice with as much vigor now as in past centuries. Great Controversy 581. In Revelation 18, the chapter dealing with the fall of Babylon the Great, in verse 13, we read that the merchants of Babylon the Great deal in slaves and the souls of men. The word slaves can be translated either slaves or bodies. Therefore, we conclude that, that there will be slavery from the National Sunday Law till the second coming of Jesus. Revelation 13:16 reveals that the mark of the beast will be imposed by the image of the beast, that's the United States, on both free and bond. And in Revelation 19:8, all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven are invited to eat the flesh of all, notice the words, free and bond, at the Battle of Armageddon, when Christ defeats the combined armies of the beast and the kings of the earth, and those that receive the mark of the beast and worship his image. All of this tells us that there will be slavery in the last days of this earth's history certainly from the time of the National Sunday Law and the little time of trouble through to the second coming of Christ Jesus. The pen of inspiration tells us 
that at the time of the global Sunday law, many will be cast into bondage. I quote, As the decree issued by the various rulers of Christendom against commandment keepers shall withdraw the protection of the government and abandon them to those who desire their destruction, the people of God will flee from the cities and villages and associate together in companies, dwelling in the most desolate and solitary places. Many will find refuge in the strongholds of the mountains. Like the Christians of the Piedmont Valley, they will make the high places of the earth their sanctuaries and will thank God for the munition of rocks. Isaiah 33, 16. But many of all nations and of all classes, high and low, rich and poor, black and white, will be cast into the most unjust and cruel bondage. The beloved of God pass weary days bound in chains, shut in by prison bars, sentenced to be slain, some apparently left to die of starvation in dark and loathsome dungeons. Unquote. What a picture of things to come. But let us praise God, for I continue to read of hope in the future. Though enemies may thrust them into prison, yet dungeon walls cannot cut off the communication between their souls and Christ. One who sees their every weakness, who is acquainted with every trial, is above all earthly powers, and angels will come to them in lonely cells, bringing light and peace from heaven. The prison will be as a palace, for the rich in faith dwell there, and the gloomy walls will be lighted up with heavenly light, as when Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises at midnight in the Philippian dungeon. Great Controversy 626. Praise the Lord! What assurance! Now is the time to make spiritual preparation. I quote, Those who delay a preparation for the day of God cannot obtain it in the time of trouble or at any subsequent time. The case of all such is hopeless. Great Controversy, page 620. Let these inspired words be ever present in your mind. Let us pray. Dear Father, in the fearful hours to come, we trust that in thy sealing power to keep us faithful, help us now to be ready. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I've had many tears and sorrows I've had questions for tomorrow There've been times I felt so all alone But in every situation gave blessed consolation that my trials come to only make me strong 
His word. 